worthy amen we serve a wonderful god hey well in psalms chapter 16 and verse 11 it says this it says you make known to me the path of life in your presence there is fullness of joy 
And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You know, I was thinking about, I was telling last service, you know that when we come into the house of God, we come to worship, but not necessarily just to worship to get something. Amen. We worship him because he alone is worthy. No matter what we're going through or what we feel like, he still is worthy. But his presence and his joy, I feel like is a byproduct of when we get close to him. Amen. So as we continue to worship this morning, hey, just let your heart connect with the Father because he loves you so much. And he wants you to enter into his presence. Lord, we bless you, Jesus. See 
to your altar and we can come boldly because Lord you are there waiting for us your arms are open wide to us you are merciful and loving and compassionate you are forgiving God and we want to say thank you for that Lord we thank you for that Lord we're going to take time in the middle of our worship service to bring our prayer team down front to pray with you about anything that you have need of for prayer but I was asking God what it was that he wanted to say to you as a congregation this weekend. And he told me that there were going to be people here today that were thirsty and dry. There were going to be people that were weary and even like our plants that were kind of withered before the rain hit yesterday. You know, things just looked dry and they started to look brown and brittle and withered up. And God said today, he wants to bring a refreshing and a strengthening and an encouragement to those of you that are needing a fresh drink from the living water. And so I want to invite you today as our worship, our ministry team comes down to the front, come for prayer because miracles happen when people agree together in prayer and let God refresh you and encourage you today and drink from that well, that living water. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a shame! Oh, glory divine, the air of salvation, a purchaser. Oh, God. 
say that
you believe it, give him some praise. Welcome to Church on the Rock. We're so happy you're here worshiping with us today. In the chair back in front of you, we have a lot of information about our church. 
Our inside look lets you know everything about who we are and what we believe in. Our ministry guide gives you plenty of ways to get connected through classes, small groups, and outreach opportunities. If you are a first-time guest, please fill out the white card in the seat back in front of you, drop it in the offering, or you can take it across the hall to the Connect Room where you will receive a free gift bag. Don't forget about our coffee bar and snacks between Sunday services in the Connect Cafe. so glad you're here and we hope you know that there's always a place for you at Church on the Rock. Here's what's happening at Church on the Rock. difficult and confusing. Here at Church on the Rock, we want to help make your journey clear by connecting you to God, friends, ministry, and the world. We offer four classes on Wednesday nights to help you grow and stay on course in your walk with God. Our Connect class is for anyone new to the church or anyone wanting to get more involved. It's a four-week class to help you learn about the church, get connected to God, and learn about your spiritual gifts. The Spirit-Filled Life four-week class will teach you how real friendship with the Holy Spirit can change your life. The four-week freedom class is designed to help you resolve conflict, break bondages, and renew your mind. The Becoming a Person of Influence class will teach you principles of leadership that you can apply in ministry, business, and your home. Between our Connect, Spirit-Filled Life, Freedom, and Becoming a Person of Influence classes, there is a Wednesday night class for everyone. good to see God's house full of people worshiping God? Amen. As you look around, uh, I'd say reach out and touch somebody, but you're probably touching them right now because we're kind of jammed in here. But one thing you can do to uh, maybe even make things a little more exciting for your family, try Saturday night service. You can come on Saturday night. It'll free up Sunday to be able to just uh, spend time together as a family or do what you want, but it also does something very evangelistic. It frees up seats so more people can come and get in here because you can see we're in the middle of a building campaign. It could be a little while, but there's some things we can do to make the best of what God's given us. But just great to see you here today. 
And we're also excited about our men's breakfast going on this Friday at 7 a.m. We always have awesome food, awesome fellowship, and uh, it's really refreshing just to see a group of men come together to challenge each other to seek after the Lord in a new way. So if you're free this Friday morning, we'd encourage you to come and join us. It's always an amazing time. And then also that morning, we have early morning prayer at 6 a.m. So men, women, students, if you would like to come and pray with us this Friday morning at 6, we would love for you to be there as we just pray for God to bless this uh, next season as we enter into the fall. Amen. Amen. Speaking of next seasons, it is ready for our next semester we have at Church in Iraq, and that means there will be new information in the chair backs in front of you, and there will be a ministry guide that tells about all the ministries going on. And if you want to be a part of one of those ministries, you need to get this leadership form today and get it filled out because it goes to the printer this, uh, this week. So be sure to get that. And it's real easy to lead a ministry. Matter of fact, that word lead can kind of be scary, but you're really just facilitating. And it can be as easy as putting in a DVD and just growing uh, with some other people together, learning some things. But that's where discipleship takes place. Discipleship doesn't really take place in a big congregation in a church service. That's where we come and, and, and come together and celebrate. But it's in a small group that discipleship takes place because that's where you live life together. You're able to pray together, learn together. Someone encourage you. It's very easy. You can even do something around a passion. We have somebody that uh, loves Frisbee golf, and so they're going to do that and do a little Bible study before. So there's a lot of ways you can just reach people, grow together, live life together. So grab one of these forms, and hopefully you can uh, help us lead this uh, fall semester. We continue to worship the Lord with our tithes and offerings. Everybody say, it's offering time. We used to do that in the past. We used to clap and get excited because, hey, it's a time to just bless people and let God bless you. But 2 Corinthians 9, 10, and 11. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in everything so you can always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. First of all, God wants you to give. So why? So he can give back and bless you. And what's the purpose of that? He wants us to be generous. And when we're generous, then it says we'll be able to take those gifts that you've given to those who need in need and they'll thank God. We've done, uh, I think, six mission trips so far this year. And we're going to watch a little video, some slides of one they just got back from the Philippines. But those people there are thanking God. Why? Because of your generosity. There was a church built. There was hundreds of people in jail that got saved. And all that happens. We did a bless our city, and the policemen and firemen were just really just amazed and, and said thank you to our congregation for giving them a little shield of faith and buying them a meal. And so all those things, it's from, that's why we want God to bless us. Why? So we can be more generous as an individual and a church. So let's celebrate together as we watch this video, and God bless you as you give.
Let's all stand and sing again. Sing your like oh, but I the tender whisper of the dead of night, and you tell me that you were pleased and that I never Just thank him right now. Thank God for his goodness and his mercy. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for forgiving me for the terrible things I've done wrong. Thank you, Lord, for giving me a job and health and, and eyes that see and ears that hear. Thank you, Lord, for the people that love me. Thank you for the hope for a bright tomorrow. Welcome, Lord, today. I want you to just pray now and say, Lord, I want to give you the right to make me into the person you want me to be. The person you created me to be. I don't want to fight against you. I don't want to struggle. I want my heart to cry. Let your kingdom come and let your will be done in my life. Lord, I want to be the person you want me to be. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody say it. Amen. Amen. Come on, give the Lord another good hand today. He is worthy. Come on, a real good hand today. Jesus is worthy. And tell your neighbor, you are glad we're sitting next to each other today. Hey, turn your Bibles this morning, Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1, we're continuing a series we've been on called The Final Chapter, Living in the Last Days. And uh, it was my intent to share this last week, but I got a little sinus problem, had a touch of fever, and uh, was not able to be here, but I'm honored to be back in the pulpit today. But I must confess... I must confess, I almost slept in this morning. <laughs> Have you ever had a dream that was going pretty good and your alarm went off in the middle of the dream? I had one like that this morning. I, um, I'm an outdoorsman. I love to hunt. And it was the first day of dove season in my dream. And I had my camo outfit on and everything, and it was daybreak, and the birds were starting to fly. How many hunters say, I understand where you're going on this one, preacher? I don't think you do. Because I was in the lawn and garden section of Lowe's <laughs> in my dream. And it was kind of like a feed store. And there were, you know, all the sacks and the bird seed and all that. And birds were flying around everywhere. Well, anyway, the manager was coming up to tell me whether or not I could hunt. And the uh, alarm went off. 
So I was kind of into I know you're thinking now, he probably needs to change his medication. Whatever it is, it's too much, too little. But anyway, I'm thrilled to be with you. It's, a, it's an honor to be here with you. My wife and I have had the privilege of pastoring here 26 years. And we just want to say thank you for, you know, we take for granted sometimes, like, like the mission trip that we just did. We, I mean, six, six different missions trips already in this year, taking the gospel beyond the walls of this church. And uh, I'm honored to be a part of, of a church like that. But the final chapter, last time I shared with you, we were looking at the words of Jesus, Matthew 24, 44. Jesus had given us kind of a, the, what, what's going to happen in the future, the events that are yet to come. But then he said this in verse 44. He said, you must also be, say it with me when I do this now. You must also be ready all the time. You must be ready all the time for the Son of Man, that's Jesus, is going to come when least expected. So this is the literal second coming of Christ. He came the first time as a baby born in a manger to become the Savior of the world He'll come the second time as King of kings and Lord of lords to establish his eternal kingdom. And that's been the focus. And this morning, we're going to begin a three-week look at the book of Revelation. And uh, uh, it's, I've entitled the message, The Revelation of Jesus Christ. And literally, the book of Revelation reveals the future from the lips of Christ, but it also reveals Christ to us. In the Gospels, we see Jesus as the man. We see Jesus as, you know, born of a virgin. We see him as a boy at 12 in the temple. We see him helping people. You know, we imagine him, you know, having this long robe and, and dirty feet walking in the, you know, in the wilderness. But in the book of Revelation, he's not pictured as the Son of Man. He's pictured as very God. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And I want to focus this morning on him, on the main character of the book of Revelation, Jesus Christ. We begin in verse 1 that says, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God the Father gave to him, Christ the Son, to show his servants the things that must soon, everybody say soon, soon take place. And he made it known by sending his angel to his servant John. John was the, his favorite apostle. John was his best friend. John wrote the book of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John as well. And an angel literally came and presented this through a vision about the future. In verse 2 it said, This angel bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Now, John saw this in a vision, and let me know visual things. And the book of Revelation is filled with symbolism. It's filled with imagery. That's why there's so many different interpretations. But he literally saw a vision. And verse 3 said, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear. That's us. And blessed are those who keep what is written, those who hear, uh, uh, those who read, and those who keep it. For G the Scripture says, the time is near. And I want to speak to all of you today in the context of being ready for the second coming of Christ. This is a declarative message. The last time I spoke from Matthew, it was an introspective message. We looked at the parables about how to be ready, but this is a message that will declare who Christ is. But I want to begin with giving you kind of an overview of the book of Revelation. 
The book of Revelation, again given by Jesus to the Apostle John in about A.D. 90-95. Jesus was crucified in about 33, somewhere in there. So this is about 50-60 years after the resurrection. John was on the Isle of Patmos. He was exiled there. Uh, he is the, uh, tradition tells us that he was the only apostle, other than Judas, of course, the only apostle who didn't die a martyr's death. But the devil tried to get rid of the voice of John, put him on an island in exile or in jail, and guess what? God gives him the book of Revelation. He takes this book of Revelation, and it first goes to seven churches. This book was not written just as a kind of a prediction of the future, but it was penned to be given to seven individual churches. And we'll probably look at those next week because my thrust in the series has not been to talk about the sequence of events as much as it is about how we live in the last days. And I've tried to encourage you to put your feet in the shoes of those that are walking through these things. Again, it's a, it's a series of symbolic visions, this book. But uh, these seven churches are literal churches in John's day. They're in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. And there's a number of events that are depicted there. One, for example, the reemergence of Israel as the centerpiece in world events. The Bible gives us a Christian worldview. And if you believe your Bible, how many know you'll be for the nation of Israel? Once again, Jesus will come back and he will, he will the, the centerpiece of Revelation centers around the going zone in the nation of Israel and, and in Jerusalem, the Middle East. Uh, our leaders in America apparently don't believe that today. Just this week it was revealed to us that under in the uh, cover of darkness, they gave $400 million in cash currency, flew it over to Iran for a few hostages to be released, but Iran promises they won't use it to fund terrorism. They're one of the largest funders of terrorism in the world, but they vocally say out loud, we want to destroy Israel. So we've given them nuclear technology. So if I believe the Bible, how many know I wouldn't act like that? But how many know I'm coming with good news today? Jesus is, is the Lord of Lords. He's the Lord of the book of Revelation. And America, as a nation, may not be in this great book, but America's involved, whether we like it or not, in kind of helping set up the events of the world. So we see Israel emerging. We see uh, the persecution and martyrdom of the followers of Christ. The book of Revelation is a bloody book. Those that choose to put their faith in Christ experience terrible judgments there from the forces of the world. There's a hatred. We see in Revelation God's judgment on the earth during what's called the seven-year tribulation. We see the rise of the Antichrist, a literal one-world ruler that will come to the forefront and, and suggest he will solve the problems of the world. Now, it amazes me, once again, how world leaders today don't believe the Bible because they are for globalism. In other words, that's kind of what they say this upcoming election is about. Uh, populism, which is the rights of the people, it's which is what Trump is, is kind of for. And then you see Miss Clinton, she's more on the globalism side. Our President Obama, President Obama recently told the, the European Union uh, when uh, Britain was wanting to get out, he said, oh, no, 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 you need to stay in. It's better if we form this global world union. World leaders have been talking about this for decades. Well, listen, this is a setup for the Antichrist. And the Antichrist in his economy, unless you have his mark, you won't be able to buy or sell without this mark of the beast. But the Bible warns us that those who take this mark will not experience eternity with God. So it's a, it's a serious day coming. Revelation talks about the destruction of the world system depicted as Babylon. 
a great battle between good and evil. It's called the Battle of Armageddon, and that's not Bruce Willis in a runaway comet. How many understand that? We see here, uh, in just a short verse, Satan, who messed this thing up in Genesis, is cast into hell, and an angel does it. doesn't even take Jesus to do it. We see an event that every believer will be in attendance at, the marriage supper of the Lamb. Uh, uh, it's probably going to be wild turkey. It'll be duck cooked in multiple ways. I mean, it's going to be a feast in the marriage supper of the Lamb. But anyway, uh, it's a literal event that's happening. The great white throne judgment. Now listen, if you don't hear another thing, I want you to hear this today. I don't want you to say one day that nobody ever told me. One day you're going to stand before God and give an account for your life. And the great, great tragedy is God is not doing scales like this. I used to think in my naiveness, I was raised in church, but I was not a believer. In my naiveness, I thought if I'm more good than bad, I'd go to heaven. It's not the Bible way. I mean, no, it only takes one sin to make a sinner. And it's sin that keeps us out of hell. Well, we see this, the great white throne judgment. We see the creation of a new heaven and a new earth. As a believer, listen, I'm concerned about our planet, but I'm not worried that our planet's going to be destroyed by global warming or global cooling, depending on what uh, uh, decade it is. Listen, Jesus is going to create a new heaven and a new earth. And there'll be a city that we'll live in at least some portion of the time. It's called the New Jerusalem. At the end of the book of Revelation, we see that time is no more. What started in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created... It will be over in the, book of, in the book of Revelation, and then eternity forward, uh, eternity will go forwards. But time is no more. The believer will live with God forever in heaven, but tragically those who reject Christ will experience the horror of hell for all eternity. In the book of Revelation, some events have likely happened, but most of Revelation, I believe, is in front of us, and it could be sooner than we think. So kind of with that broad overview, I want to begin now, which is the heart of the message today. I want to exalt the main character of the book, Jesus Christ. He is not a babe in a manger, but you'll get a different view of who this Christ is. Revelation chapter 1, I'm going to read about a dozen verses, and then we'll come back and talk about some of the significant things that are said of Christ. But somehow let this just absorb, as it were, in your mind John is writing now to seven literal churches in Asia, and he says, Grace to you and peace from Jesus Christ, number one, the faithful witness, number two, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of kings on earth, to him who loves us, he's freed us from our sins by his blood, and our response is to give him worship, glory, and dominion forever. Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, all tribes of the earth, and many will wail on account of him. How many know those that don't believe and mock him when they see him will not be happy? Even so, amen. Amen says, so be it. And number, verse 8, I am the Alpha and the Omega. What does that mean? Says the Lord, who was, or who is, and who was, and who is to come, he is the Almighty. All this is talking about who Christ is. Now, get this picture, verse 13. When you think of Jesus, maybe you've got a portrait in your house or in your Bible, and typically he's of you know, a Middle Eastern complexion. He's got brown curly hair. He's got a beard and a mustache, and, and he's smiling. This is a little different. Verse 13, in the midst of the lampstands, in other words, John saw Jesus standing in the midst of his churches. This is why I'm a local church man. I believe in the local church. One standing like a son of man. This is Christ. 
But listen, he's clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. Gold is royalty. Um, The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. Now, this is not because he's a gray-headed old man. This is purity. It's holiness. It's, It's righteousness. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished or polished bronze, refined in a furnace. His voice was like the voice of many waters. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. It's a picture of the Word of God. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. Next time you're outside and and one of these August basking days, if you just kind of glance to heaven, this, this, this glow, this glory... Is a, is, a, is a picture of Christ. Again, symbolism. John did what you and I would likely do, mind you. He said, I fell at his feet as though I was dead. But Jesus laid his right hand on me and said, Fear not. Here's another one. I'm the first and the last. I'm the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And listen to this. I have the keys of death and Hades. Now, let's go back and just kind of walk through that, and this will be the bulk of what we'll talk about today. Number one, he is the faithful witness. What does that mean? He is the source of prophecy in the book of Revelation. All the future that's talked about is true and reliable, and we can believe and trust his words. When you read, this is what the Bible's saying. The Bible's saying, for example, the great white throne judgment we spoke about, you will be there and I will be there. I'll give an account for my works. I'll give an account for every idle word I speak. I'll be saved, come on, by the grace of God. But all the events of Revelation, the Bible says of itself, Jesus is saying whether you believe it or not. He is saying that my words are faithful and true. Now, how many know most words from most people in America, you can't always trust them. As Christians, we should do our best to be honest people. Uh, how, how many check the weather pretty regular, regular here? Yeah, I do too. Uh, it's rained at my house in Redwater one time since May, and I look at the weather almost every day, and I looked at it yesterday. I was in Dallas at a pastor's conference at a Church on the Rock pastor's conference, and I looked at it when I got up that morning, and it said 10% chance of rain. All of a sudden, I said, well, okay. And I get home, and just before I get ready to come to church, there's this deluge. And I looked on my weather app, and it told me there's a 40% chance of rain. And I'm thinking, you're not true and reliable. The weather is best guess. Jesus is not best guess. His word, he is the faithful witness. He is the firstborn of the dead. This means the resurrection from the dead. He's the first one to live after death, and you and I as believers will follow him. What Jesus is saying is every person, whether they went down on the Arizona and entombed in Pearl Harbor or whether they're buried in a cemetery in Arkansas, one day, my friend, that dead body will rise from the grave. There's a hope, listen, that as we go through suffering and pain, as we bury loved ones, listen, don't blame God. Put your finger where it belongs. Satan brought this into the world. When he offered Adam and Eve what would make them happy, God said, you're going to die. Come on. And one of their kids, Cain, kills Abel right off the bat. Listen, this is where it comes from. But Jesus said, listen, I've got power over death. I, listen, I rose from the dead, and because I rose, I live, so will you live again as well. He is the firstborn. Um, he is the ruler of kings on earth. 
Which simply means this. Jesus has the ultimate power over all earthly rulers. Revelation 17 says they, the world rulers that were aligned with the Antichrist, they'll make war on the Lamb, and the Lamb, say it with me, will conquer them, for He is Lord of lords, and He is King of kings. Now, I don't know about you, but America needs, needs some change. We need some change, and we're looking for the election, and I don't like what I see. I'm somewhere between wanting to do this and, 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 and that. And I look at, it's almost like what bega- a nation that began as we the people has become a nation that we're ruled by the elites. Come on now. And we don't even care about our citizens enough to care for our borders and have legal immigration. Come on, where we are integrating people in our culture. But it seems like the politicians want their votes so badly, now we're not even checking people's diseases and, 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 and uh, uh, antibiotic-resistant strains of TB are coming in America, and it's like we don't care anymore. Listen, we, I mean, we can love people but have an ordered immigration system. We have lawlessness. This is America today, but I've got news for you today. Jesus is looking at all this, and one day he's going to say, just stop all this foolishness right now. Because I'm the King of kings and I'm the Lord of lords. Listen, I believe that we should be involved in the political process. I have an opinion whether Paul Ryan should say as speaker or not. How many know? Listen, and we'll talk about the election in the days ahead, what the parties stand for. But I want to tell you this, friends. That's not where the buck stops. The buck stops coming with Jesus, and one day he's going to say, there's enough people that are saved, heaven is populated, now let this thing be done. Come on, the gospel, Matthew 24, has been preached to all the nations of the earth, and then the end will come. Jesus is the one that's in control. Come on, now you can trust him. He's the ruler of the kings of the earth. And now, now this next one is the one most endearing one to me. It says, to him who loves us. In Romans 8, 39, Paul said, I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate me from God's love. Nothing can separate me, neither death nor life, neither going through the valley. Listen, I have a pastor friend that his wife's brain tumor has doubled in size without a miracle. She's going to go to be with the Lord. How could something so horrible and so bad be happening? Nothing can separate me from the love of Christ. Come on now. Sin came into the world and sickness is not just an individual judgment against people. It's Satan's curse on mankind. But to go through this valley, it will not separate me. Neither our fears of for today or our worries about tomorrow, not even the power of hell can separate me from the love of God. What what, what does that mean? That means nothing, no matter how bad it is. In the midst of my darkest hour, in the midst of my most troubling time, listen, I can still go into the secret place of the Most High God. I can still touch the horns of the altar. I can still draw near to God, and God draws near to me. I may be Stephen in Acts, uh, Acts, I think, chapter 6, and I'm being stoned for my testimony for Christ, but he looks up and he said, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Nothing can separate you from his love. I don't care how bad you've been. Listen, friend. I don't care if you show up on the front page of our newspaper clothed in orange and people look at you and they say, my God, how could that person do that horrible thing? And they look at you and they see your face and and they don't want anything to do with you and, 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 and they lambast you, they talk bad about you. Listen, everyone turns their back on you. No one comes to visit you because of the horror of what you did to another person. Jesus still loves you. 
And his love doesn't mean he approves of what you did. Come on. We have civil laws in a civil society. There's consequences for our action, but the love of God will never stop loving you any more than a mama will stop visiting her baby in jail just because he did something wrong. She doesn't like going there. He doesn't like being there. Both of them know they did wrong, but the love of a mother will get up and have her go down on a Sunday afternoon, come on, when nobody else is going to see her baby because she loves that child. And I want to tell you, if you're a believer, you've been adopted in the family of God. You are a son. You are a daughter of God. And there's nothing that can separate you from his love. This next one is the thing you should be more gracious for than anything. He freed us from our sins by his blood. Revelation 5, John said, I, I saw a lamb, this is Jesus, standing as though it had been slain. Revelation continues saying, you, Lord, were slain, and by your blood you redeem people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. What does this mean? You ransomed me. You, you bought me back. I draw your attention to the cross. It is what makes Christianity distinct and different than any other religion in the world. There were many great teachers. There are many leaders that people follow, but only one paid the sacrifice for our sins. Listen, if you owe a mortgage and you can't pay it, after 30 days you'll get a letter. They're saying you're behind. You've got to catch up. After the second 60 days, they say, listen, time's gonna, there's going to be problems. We'll foreclose. After 90 days, listen, I think the time is right. You need to pay it in full with the interest, with the penalties. If you don't, you're going to be out on the street. Well, I want to tell you, friend, you can be out on the street and somebody can let you live with them. You can get an apartment, you can buy another house, but you can't afford to pay for the penalty of your sins. Listen, it only takes one sin to make a sinner. It only takes one sin to send a person to an eternal hell. How many know we need the forgiveness that comes from Christ and Christ alone? Jesus bought you back. Come on now. He paid your mortgage. He paid your debt in full. And that's the great, that's the distinction of Christianity. That for God so loved the world, come on, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. The sixth one, we're a kingdom of priests. What does that mean? That we're all going to be Catholics or Episcopalians? It's my only joke for the day, and it just flew right over your head. No, not Anglicans either. No, a priest in the Old Testament had direct and constant access to God. I want you to hear me today. Christianity is more than a belief system. It's more than tradition. It's more than religion. It is relationship with God. And what we will have one day is direct and constant access to God. And because of that, we'll give Him glory and worship. Here's a picture of heaven, Revelation 5, 13. John said, I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea. And basically, it's a way of saying, I heard every creature everywhere. Come on, birds, critters, dogs, and people. And they're saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, say it with me, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever and evermore. Come on, give him a big hand today. Our access to God is, is worship. Now, verse 7 says, Behold, he's coming with clouds, and every eye will see him. In Acts chapter 1, after the resurrection of Christ, 
He, the scripture says he ascended to heaven. Literally, he's standing on this mountain with his believers. He said his last word, and he just lifted up in the clouds. And the angels said, why are you looking in the clouds? This same Jesus is coming in the same way that you saw him go. But the Bible says this, every eye will see him. Now, how does every person on a round globe see Jesus? And then some people say, well, that just can't be true. That's the same person that tries to decide if the whale in Jonah is a true story or not by going to Wikipedia, come on, and finding out if there's a whale that's big enough to hold enough oxygen to keep you alive for three days. Listen now, we're talking about God. And how many know if God says every eye will see the second coming of Christ, come on, God doesn't need CNN and Fox News to to do it either. He doesn't need a YouTube video, come on, He doesn't need the internet. Somehow, this Christ is coming back to the earth, and the dead in Christ will rise. There'll be a loud trumpet sound. Look at verse 8. This is more than the babe in the manger. I'm the Alpha and the Omega. This is the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. It's used three times in Revelation of Christ. He also went on to say, Jesus, who is in the present, who was in the past, and who is to come, which is simply a way of saying Christ is eternal. Jesus did not have a beginning. He will have no ending. When he came as the babe in the manger, that was not the start of Jesus. He has existed eternally. He is God. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God. Listen, it refers to the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Jesus was there. John 1.1 said, in the beginning was Jesus the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. There are many pseudo-Christian denominations that don't believe that Christ is equal to the Father. But the Bible teaches that Christ is very God, the eternal God. The Mormon believes that just as Christ is so, uh, or, or was, so you and I will once be. In other words, that you're going to be like Jesus one day. You will never be Jesus. Come on. But He is God. And then this next phrase, the Almighty. He is the all-powerful one. It is used nine times in Revelation to refer to Jesus. This makes Jesus superior to every other God that's worshipped today. Come on now. Listen, many worship Muhammad today, and if you don't, they'll take your life if you don't pay the tax. It's true. They go to Mecca. They worship at the tomb. They make pilgrimage at least once in your lifetime. One of the seven pillars of Islam is you've got to go to Mecca once in your life. You've got to go... and see the tomb of the prophet. Well, I want to tell you, if you go to Jerusalem looking for the tomb of the prophet, it's wide open, come on, because he's not there anymore. He's different. We're told in the world today that all religions are the same. That all religions are not the same. We're told that, listen, whatever God that you worship and whatever, like, you can make him up. I'm telling you, friends, he is who he is. Come on, take him or leave him. My suggestion to you is you take him. Come on, give him a big, a big hand this morning. He says, I have the keys of death in Hades. What does that mean? It means that Jesus has the power to cause dead people to be alive again. He has the power of death. Keys symbolize authority. It means that Jesus has the authority over death and the place of the dead. Stay with me now. Hades, it's it's a term in the vernacular of their day. It is a literal place of torment. It is the holding place for the unbeliever when they die. You say, explain that to me. Luke 16, verse 22. 
Lazarus, the poor man, had died, and the angels carried him to the arms of Abraham, Abraham's bosom. It was paradise. Before the resurrection of Christ, every believer that died would go to this place called paradise. The unbeliever, those that had rejected God, those that had, that had turned their back on God, went to this holding place before great white throne judgment called Hades. This rich man, he died in his sins. He's buried. Verse 23 says, he's in the place of the dead. He's in Hades, and he's in much pain. And I'll tell you, friend, death is real, but Jesus is more powerful. Death has power, but Jesus has more power. I can tell you, friend, you and I don't have to be afraid of death as a believer. The Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Paul the Apostle said, I, 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 I would rather go and be with the Lord. He's talking about dying. I'd rather go and be with the Lord, than, but it's necessary that I stay here with you. So for the believer today, how many know we are a spirit being? We have a body, mind, will, and emotion, or soul, mind, will, and emotions, and we live in a body. Our body dies... But our spirit, our soul, are eternal. And it's our spirit, our soul that goes to be with the Lord. And it's our body that will be resurrected on that great day. But there's a fear of death that torments us. And I want you to listen to me because I can guarantee you, particularly if you're young here, you don't think much about death. You've never thought about death because every day has been like the day before. Listen to this. It's one of Satan's great tools. It's Hebrews 2. Satan uses the fear of death to torment us and control us. Listen to Hebrews 2. Only by dying could he, Jesus, break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only in this way could Jesus set free, listen now, those who all their lives who were slaves to the fear of dying. A slave to the fear of of dying. Now, I know cognitively, intellectually, I know what I believe about death, but can I tell you, friends, in my soul, sometimes I get afraid. Anybody else? I never really thought about dying much. I'm 59 now, but when I was about uh, two years ago, I began to have kind of an anxiety meltdown. My wife, after her cancer, I had kind of my own version of like a PTSD deal. Well, anyway, in that, I began to have this feeling that I lived in from the time I got up in the morning to the time I'd go to bed at night. If you can imagine this. Anybody ever been to the top of the Sears Tower? Sears Tower, okay, about 100 stories tall. There's a restaurant on top, and they say that building naturally moves 8 to 10 feet in the wind. Now, I want you to imagine we're on top of the Sears Tower up there. We're on top of this huge building in a restaurant, and we're standing on the edge here. Come on, there's this big plate glass window, and you're, and, and you're close to it, and, and the wind moves, and that pain touches you in the nose a little bit. And you're just kind of looking down there, and the people look like ants. Do you feel like your toes curling just a little bit trying to hang on to something? I had that feeling. I live with that feeling constantly. And what really made it worse is doctors in trying to help me, uh, I, I had a bad reaction to some medicine, and I, I would pass out. And I remember passing out in my office one day. And I've been struggling with this for a while. My anxiety is rising. I, I, I'm thinking I'm going to die. They'd sent me to the hospital twice. I passed out driving my, my vehicle. And I'm in my office, and I feel this fainting coming on me, and I thought I was going to die. 
I got down on my knees by my desk, I mean by my couch, and I said, well, Lord, okay, take me. If this is what death is like, maybe it's not so bad. Because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Listen, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. Fear not, Isaiah 41.10, because I am with you. And all the time the devil is pushing on my back. Yeah, but you're going to die. You're not going to, you're going to lose your life. I would have the, listen, I would be afraid something bad was going to happen coming to the pulpit in a church on a Sunday, getting behind the wheel of my truck, things that you do every day and don't think a thing about it. And this tormentor was tormenting me. Come on now. I hope you never experience it. But if you do, I want to tell you something can rise up within you that says greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I know the one who conquered death, hell, and the grave. I know the one that's going to crush you under my feet one day. Come on. Because he died and he is alive forevermore. Amen. You say, you're such a simpleton, just believing fairy tales. Thank God for the fairy tales of the Bible then. I'm not willing to risk my soul. But you're risking that the whole scripture and the words of Christ are a lie. Let me, let me, I'm going to wrap up quickly here. Jesus, another portion here of Scripture, He is our comforter and our sustainer in trials and trouble. Now, don't you hang on with me because many of us in seasons of our life or it seems like the whole life, I suffer, I'm in pain, it goes from bad to worse, there's persecution because I'm a believer. In Revelation 7, this is the heart of God, uh, He's writing to those that come out of the great tribulation. Now, these are those that believe in Christ during the tribulation, and they die. They don't take the mark of the beast. Uh, they're beheaded, or, or they experience some vile death. And you think, well, where is God in all this? Verse 15, now a picture in heaven. They're before the throne of God, and they're serving Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will shelter them with His presence. In this big storm yesterday, I noticed cars accumulating. People got out of their cars and they ran to the overhang or the drive-thru because they wanted to escape the raindrops and the hail and the wind. There's a shelter that you can go to. I'm telling you, friends, it's going to happen when you get to heaven. You'll have a shelter. But you can have that shelter of the Most High God right now in your life. Come on. The Psalms 91 speaks of that. There's a refuge. There's a place you can run to in the midst of your trouble. Listen, before the anesthesiologist says, good night, come on now. There's somebody more than just a nurse who wants to hold your hand. I'm telling you, Jesus wants to take a hold of your hand. He says they will hunger no more. They will thirst no more. The sun shall not strike them nor any scorching heat. It is a picture of the desire of God to comfort us in our troubles. Listen, when one day there's a real place called heaven and all this you know, fill in the blank right there. You know the word. All this junk is going to be over. I'm telling you, friends, one day you can look forward to the fact. Now may be a day of difficulty for you. Now may be a day of sacrifice. Now may be a day of suffering. Now may be a day of bankruptcy and persecution. But one day all that's going to be over. Come on. He, he goes on to say, verse 17, the lamb, Jesus, is in the midst of the throne. He's going to be their shepherd. He's going to guide us to springs of living water. In other words, Jesus is the cool drink on a hot, dry day. Come on. Jesus is what the longing of, the, of, the, of these kids that are out doing two-a-days and it's so hot and they think they're going to die. Jesus is the longing of our soul. 
And he says, God will one day wipe away every tear from our eyes. I want to tell you, friends, today, this world may be filled with trouble, but there's coming one one day, friend. Come on, when time is no more and heartache and pain and suffering are over. Come on, give him a big hand today. Let me close with this. We could take, listen, weeks and talk about Christ in Revelation, but let's close with the last chapter of Revelation and talk about a picture of our soon and coming king. Now, Revelation 22, time is over. There's a new heaven, there's a new earth. This city, the new Jerusalem, has come down from heaven to earth. And Scripture says no longer will there be anything accursed. There'll no longer be a curse on anything. All the evil... All the sin and all that it produced, it's all gone. But the throne of God and of the Lamb, Jesus, will be in it, this new Jerusalem. And his servants will worship him. Look at verse 4. They'll see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. One day, you're going to see Jesus eye to eye for the first time. One day, Christ is going to hug you. One day, Robert. Jesus is going to come to you, and you're going to see him and probably won't know what to do, but he's going to open his arms like that. He's going to come here, I'm going to give you a hug. One day. One day you're going to see God face to face. And hear me today, you that are young in particular, or you whose spouse forces you to come to church, Christianity is not about rules. It's not about laws and be, you better do this and better not do that. Christianity is about a real relationship with the God who created us. Come on. With the God who's got a better plan for our life than we could ever imagine. Come on now. He's a good God, and one day we'll see Him face to face. There'll be no more night. There'll be no need of lamps, no flashlights, no iPhone lights. No longer any sunshine because the Lord God will be their light. And they will reign forever, come on, and evermore. Behold, verse 12, Jesus said, I'm coming soon. And I'm bringing my recompense, or I'm bringing my reward with me to repay each one for what he's done. The sacrifice of the money that you gave to go to the Philippines, you let your spouse go there. They led people to Christ, those people to go to heaven. Jesus remembers. Jesus remembers every person that drinks out of the water wells you guys drug there in, in, in Mexico. He remembers every time those villagers thank God for water. God remembers the sacrifice we make. Come on now. God remembers every prayer we make. God remembers everything that we do for Him. Come on, when the world laughs at you and mocks at you and you turn and you love them back, God remembers. I didn't see Anissa this morning, but she's the gal, uh, African-American girl. Remember, she, she was a Muslim at one time, came to Christ. And she's single, and she just now she's got uh, more kids than who was it? Cinder, not Cinderella. Who was? Oh, Mother Goose. Whoever? Mother Hubbard. Mother Hubbard. <laughs> they open the car door, and I just think, I hope a policeman's not watching. They're stacked like, and she is a she is a uh, 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 what do you call it? Um, foster mom, and she takes kids at all ages. She had this one little boy, and my wife showed me this picture at least three times this week. This little boy was born to a mom who was drug addicted. This child was born drunk and, and drug, drug high and had intellectual developmental problems and couldn't do what normal babies do. But somehow she loved this child. She took her in her home, and every time she needed a break, I'd watch women in our church, and they'd take and they'd love this baby. And then my daughter-in-law is a part of a, of a group that helps adopt difficult children. And they found a forever mom for this child. And this mom, this mom was trained in, med in medicine to help disabled children. 
And now this family has come together. Are you with me now? And, and here in the midst of an evil world where, where the world thinks like Planned Parenthood, just kill everybody that's pregnant if the Zika virus is anywhere. But here's a little baby born, not so perfect, come on, but still created in the image of God. Come on, has the stamp of God. People love this child. People cared for this child. And one day God will look at them and say, whatever you did to the least of these, you did to me. Come on now. That's Matthew 25. That's Bible. And that's what it means that God will recompense us for what we've done. I'll close with this. Verse 20. He who testifies to these things, this is Jesus. Jesus Christ is saying, surely I am, say it with me, coming soon. And the response is, amen, come Lord Jesus. Come on, give him a big hand today. The Bible says the end. Let's stand to our feet this morning, and I want to close today in prayer. We always make opportunity for prayer after the Bible's open because I know the Holy Spirit speaks to us. And if you're here today, and whether it's perhaps, we'll pray for any needs you might have missed earlier that you have, that you got to face when you go out in the world. But, but usually what this prayer is, is for people who God's been speaking to and you feel a need to respond. And I don't know what it may be. We've talked about a lot of things, but perhaps the most important thing here today for all of us is that I want to be ready when Christ comes back. Come on. I don't want to be on the wrong side of the great white throne judgment. How about you? I want to be on the right side. I don't, I, I don't want to be left behind when the dead start rising. Come on now. I want to be right with God. I want to be ready whether his coming is this afternoon, tomorrow, next week, next year, or if I die first, I want to be ready. And I think that's the heart of every one of us today. And I would simply ask you today, friend, are you ready? Are you living in such a way that if Jesus come back, you'd have no regrets? Are you living in such a way where if I can use this line on the stage and there's the cross and there's a line that you know you need to cross, you need to get over to get there, but it's hard to do because what's out in the world is very appealing. And today there's something in your heart wanting you to cross this line, wanting you to step over and come to Christ. But how many know to come to Christ you have to let go of something? To follow Jesus, you have to stop following something. If you're here today and say, Pastor, that's what I need. I need to commit my life to Christ. I need to get right with God today. I want to make that step today. I need the forgiveness of God. And I want to commit my life to Christ today. I came to church this morning knowing I need to get right with God. And I want to do it now. I want you to pray for me. If that's you and you're here today and say, Pastor, pray for me. I need to get my life right with God. I want you to lift your hand real high. Just do it quickly. Just lift your hand and say, pray for me. God bless you, dear. Others today say, pray for me. God bless you, sir. Others say, pray for me. I'm not where I need to be. I'm not where I need to be in my relationship with God. Okay, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to have our prayer team come forwards. I want you that raised your hand, I want you to come and pray with someone about wherever it is in your spiritual life. But there's many that need a touch from God as we close in this service. I'm going to invite you as our prayer team is coming right now. Just slip out of your chair with them and come on up and let somebody pray for you. You that lifted your hand, come on up. Let us pray for you. Give them one more big hand. God bless you, sir. God bless you, ma'am. Come, let us pray for you today. Come, let us pray for you today. Let us pray for you today. Listen, we're here for you. We love you. I'm so glad you came. We're going to close with one last song, and then you'll be dismissed. I love you. We'll keep this up next week, and I'm encourage you, if you're new in the church, come this Wednesday night at 630 to our Connect class. That's the way to get involved. I love you. Thanks for being here. You come, let us pray for you. There's nothing worth more 
that will ever come close. No thing can compare. Tasted and seen of the sweetest of love. When my heart becomes free, and my shame is enough. In your presence, Lord. We're gonna continue to worship. The altars are open. If you want prayer for anything. But before you go, if you've never gotten involved in the church, if you have uh, just don't really feel connected, why don't you come this Wednesday night at 6.30 to our Connect class. It's in the Connect Cafe. It's just four weeks long. Great way to learn about the church. You also learn about your spiritual gifts. And so it's just a four-week class. Great to learn. If you want more information or just even considering joining the church, just stop by the Connect room on the way out. It's just on the other side of these walls. i got a gift for you. Otherwise, God bless you. Have a great week. Amen. Please, Spirit, you are welcome here. Come below.